Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and we're not breaking down a match today because there is none. It's the international window, but we thought we'll just look back on the season so far, look ahead to what's coming, and to do all of that, we have a special guest. We have a friend of the program, Sabi. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. Good to be on uh, the podcast with you too. Thanks for making the time, man. You've been a United fan for a long time. We've talked and broken down a lot of United games over the last yep. somewhere between 15 to 20 years. <laughs> yeah. oh, it has but, been quite uh, a while, eh? <laughs> I, I think one thing that would be good to know is, and I don't even think I know this, but how did you actually become a Manchester United fan? Oh, I never told you. I'm what you would call probably like a second generation fan. My dad, he was born and raised in uh, England. I was also born there. So that's where the influence came from. He was um, he was a lifelong fan. His, his favorite player was George Best. Really, the passion started from going around with him. He would take me to all his games because he used to play. And we'd be in the pubs watching games. And it kind of continued until when we moved here to Canada. What age were you when you moved? I came around six years old. But uh, when we moved here, it's uh, it was a completely, completely different life compared to the UK, especially for soccer. Because back then, it was uh, the games were not televised how they are today. You didn't have your major uh, networks broadcasting the games. It would be it was like satellite. The only way we were able to watch games was um, going to the pub. And uh, you you know the pub we used to go to was uh, Cooper's. Yeah, back when uh, there was still smoking in the pub and everything. I can I can remember standing on uh, standing on the bars because I was still still small to look over everybody watching. They probably had maybe one screen going on the projector showing the game a full pub it was the same thing with all the fans like uh, you couldn't catch the games anywhere so everyone used to go to the pub so you would have the crowds at the pub all the people that immigrated to canada from the uk even fans from here so you kind of had that atmosphere going that you kind of would kind of would have over back home that's interesting that you can say that about Coopers because, I mean, pretty much from the time that I went there, which was obviously much later, yeah, it seemed like it was just like a Re- Leafs and Raptors pub. Yeah. The few yeah. times I've ever been there for soccer, I can't really remember it being packed or anything like that. It's funny you mention that because, Vivek, I also have similar experiences. Actually, I can kind of relate to what Sabi's saying uh, because when I first came to Canada, which was more or less in the year 2003 so not quite when you came Vivek but uh, I was like big into United and trying to watch games and it was hard to find anything I would I would also go to Cooper's I remember I really really wanted to watch a United Arsenal game Uh, in fact I think it was around about the time of the Invincibles it was an 11 o'clock game so it wasn't like an early morning game so when I say 11 o'clock I mean 11 Canadian time and uh, I actually went and opened the bar with them (laughs) So they couldn't give me any alcohol, obviously. I just had an orange juice, and I was the only person in the bar watching the game. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it has is definitely 
it did change over the years. I'm not sure why it did change. Uh, maybe it's change of owners. But I was going to Cooper's ever since we moved to Mississauga. So like I I seen it gradually change. And then yes, you you're right. It turned into watching the Raptors, the Leafs, and those were the nights that were big because they mm-hmm. weren't getting um, they weren't getting the fans for soccer. I guess I'm not sure why, but uh, we ended up changing to another pub that was showing the games, the Mad Hatters. Small little pub, but great atmosphere, especially for weekend games, Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings. You go to the pub, you get your get your meal. It became a tradition with me and my dad. Mm-hmm. Watching the games, always looking forward to the weekend, uh, getting excited, you know, just enjoying a meal together and just bonding over watching United. When's the, when's the last time you watched the United game with your dad? Sadly, it's been uh, a little while because of this uh, situation we're in with COVID. That as well as uh, I have a son now, so life is a bit uh, crazy. So... <laughs> <laughs> These days, it's a it's it's a real challenge to actually watch the game live. So I'm finding myself uh, watching the replays in the evenings when I get the chance, here and there. So it's a it's a bit different. But for me, United has played a big part in my life. Like the saying goes, right? Like win, lose, or tie, United till I die. Doesn't matter what. <laughs> I mean, I still remember your car. You had the license plate MUFC DB7, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I got that for uh, my 19th birthday. I still got those plates. <laughs> still got those plates. Yeah. And if uh, I'm pretty sure United fans can put it together. MUFC, David Beckham, seven. My idol, pretty much, growing up. That was that was who made Carl a United fan. Yeah, that was uh, that was my story, actually, on, on the first episode. The whole reason I'm a United fan is because of uh, DB7. Um, DB7. Yeah. But your dad's an Arsenal fan, right? Yeah, my dad's an Arsenal fan. So, uh, oh, you know, back... The relationship's a bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly different. Yeah. Back in 2003, uh, there wouldn't be much talking in the house uh, after the result, of <laughs> whichever way it went. And so <laughs> my mom always had to uh, refrain from picking sides. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine oh, the battles they used to have on the pitch. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Sabi, in our first episode, actually, Vivek and I were discussing, you know, it, it was this trip to Punta Cana that kind of brought us together. And, and you were also part yeah. of that trip. So you you shared in those uh, fun memories of uh, that 8-2 game, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that, that was the first time we met as well on that trip. That game, we couldn't have... Uh, it's kind of, it set the mood, didn't it, for the for the rest of the trip? You just got amped oh, it up. Did. It did. We're just buzzing. Just uh, smashed Arsenal eight two. Oh, never forget that. <laughs> Trying to rebuild towards that point where United can have those type of nights, and I think we can get into just where United are at this point of the season. Obviously, early days, but I think yep. it's. With the, with the initial uh, transfer window done, we can look at where United are right now with the new faces that are in, maybe what some of our expectations are going mm-hmm. 
down the rest of the season. So Carl, why don't I start with you? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the, on the season so far? Yeah. So Vivek, if you, if you had asked me that question at the beginning of the season, I would have had a completely different answer from what I have right now, you know, coming in from last season on the high of, you know, qualifying for the champions league on the last day of the season, beating Leicester, we were in a bit of a high. I mean, we finished in third place, which was higher than, than most fans expected. And so at this point, extremely optimistic. If we make the signings that we were supposed to make with Jaden Sancho, maybe a center back coming in, hey, there was talk of us potentially challenging for the title. Well, it seems like we are a far, far way away from that. Looking at how the transfer window went down, our squad basically more or less remained the same. And then at the last minute, we got some additions. You know, I would have been happy if we just make the top four. But then you take it a step further. And a lot of those teams from last season that we were on top of, they went and strengthened. Uh, Specifically, Chelsea really had a good transfer window. Spurs came on late. They had a fantastic transfer window, so they're much stronger. You look at Leicester, their starting uh, starting 11 was extremely strong. And you know what? The squad depth ultimately was their Achilles heel in them not qualifying for the Champions League. But they went in and they got some shrewd signings, especially uh, Fofana at the back. So all those teams strengthened, uh, including Wolves. And so now you look at that top four race and it's a lot harder. I honestly, you know, I would be extremely happy if we finished in the top four. It's kind of embarrassing to say, you know, talking about where United used to be and what kind of expectations they had. I don't know if we'll make the top four, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm along the same lines of thinking as you, Carl. Coming into this season, it was very exciting. I mean, we saw improvements all over the pitch, specifically in uh, in defense. We were a lot more solid, scoring more goals. I think a lot of that is due to bringing in Bruno. After signing him, I my eyes were just looking for cups, for for goals, for for wins. I had hope. You know, like a shining light coming in. Coming into this season, it's been uh, really rough, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> We've had uh, some good showing, good uh, good performances from, I would say, each of our players, most of our players. Uh, people are stepping up, but it's still, as Ole says, topsy-turvy. I'm not sure what's going on at the moment, but it seems like we're still looking like mid-table team at best. Yeah, I think for me, expectations-wise, I would still think that United are a contender for the top four. Bruno, he showed against Everton what he's capable of. I think he's had you know an okay start to the season, but if that's the Bruno that United can get the rest of the way, then I think that definitely is a major boost. You look at Alex Tellez, hopefully coming into the lineup. United will obviously need him with Luke Shaw with injury now. If he can provide that solidity on the left flank, I think that's a significant upgrade. When I look at the top four, I think Tottenham looks really good. You would have to expect Liverpool to be there, even with Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk out. I think Chelsea should be there. So that's three teams and then I think it's pretty open. I think Manchester City have been okay. Leicester City, even though they've got off to a really strong start, we've seen how they can taper off. They That's what they did last season. 
So I think they're, they're still a question mark to me. I would still expect them to be in the top four. I would still expect them to be right there. And maybe it'll come down to the final game like it did last season. But I think this side is good enough. And ideally, yeah, I would have loved to see a center back come in that would have been able to challenge uh, Harry Maguire, challenge Victor Lindelof. Hopefully, Axel Twanzebe can do that the rest of the way. But yeah, I think there's still enough to be in the top four. And Champions League-wise, outside of that Istanbul game, I don't think I can have any complaints. I don't think anyone can have any complaints when you look at the results. To beat PSG, to beat Leipzig 5-0, I think those are huge results. So hopefully they can hold on to first place and we'll see if that plays out. If there are any more gaps to fill, Carl, where would you look possibly in the January window based on what you've seen so far? I mean, the most obvious one is is definitely center back trying to just get someone who's fast. But I think, like you mentioned, if Axel makes a case where he can put A, some consistency by not getting injured and B, just showing some good performances. But Because let's be honest, uh, his performance against PSG was fantastic. But then against Istanbul, he got taken off at halftime, right? So uh, yep. I think that now... I, I would have said on the wing, on the right wing. However, we still have two signings that we haven't played yet. Uh, number one is Facundo Pellistri. And number two is Ahmad Diallo, who's only joining us from Atlanta in January. So I highly doubt we're going to make any signings apart from center back. And uh, I mean, if I'm being honest, the center back position has such a, a knock-on effect for the rest of the, the team. Because if you have confidence in your two center backs, guess what? You don't have to play two defensive midfielders anymore. What does that mean? You now open up your midfield for another attacking player. So even if uh, the opposition is going to double team Bruno Fernandes, you now potentially have a Donny van der Beek or a Pogba who can also unlock a defense with those passes that they're capable of, right? So I think having that center back in place is so critical to the success of this team. Uh, do you guys see some other positions that I might have missed? I don't know if anyone would disagree with that. And in terms of addressing it, I think I'm at the point where I'm happy to <laughs> use whatever funds come out of uh, a Paul Pogba transfer. I think I've reached <laughs> my limit with him. I've tried to be patient uh, throughout this process. I think Carl knows for a fact that I've tried to stand by him for the most part. But I think at this point, it feels like sort of Vince Carter in his final days with the Raptors, where he didn't really seem committed. And you know the second he leaves, he's probably going to be great for whichever team he joins. But the fit just isn't there anymore. And even now, being with France and him saying that being in that camp is like a breath of fresh air. You know, Solskjaer, for me, has stood by him this whole way, has defended him throughout. So for him to make that comment, it's completely unnecessary. Frankly, if you don't have the spine to fight for a place in the 11 and one are going to get discouraged by coming off the bench, then that's on you. So, Sabi, I know Pogba is someone who's, who, who boils your blood as well. So uh, <laughs> why don't you let us know your thoughts? Oh, beyond boils my blood. Beyond boils my blood. Um, my thoughts. First thought. Never wanted to buy him in the first place. <laughs> That's the first thought. 
I thought it was going to be a big mistake just going by his previous history with the club. If Sir Alex Ferguson gave him away on a free transfer, that says something about a player, especially a player with so much talent in his locker. You could see the potential is there. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He has ability. He's strong on the ball. He's got skillful feet. He can pick out a player. But it's just, uh, we don't see that Pogba. Maybe you'll get glimpses of him here and there. But most of the time you see a guy, a lethargic player on the pitch, like he doesn't even want to be there. With these comments that he's just made over the international break, I mean, I feel that really seals his fate with the fans, with the club. Like you said, they've been really patient with him. Fans have been patient with him. In Fergie's time, it was known that no player is bigger than the club. And ever since Pogba has come in, that's all I've heard. They've tried to build this team around this player that hasn't shown that he deserves it. He hasn't shown the desire that he really wants to be at United. With all the comments that he's made, with the, the uncertainty of his future, his agent, sticking his nose in between, making comments, uh, it's, just, it's just not good for the club. It's not good for the team. It doesn't create a good team atmosphere. When you're looking at one of your best players and expecting him to shine, to produce, you know, to get that game-winning goal, which, yes, we put that pressure on Pogba because of his transfer value. So it's, uh, I'm not sure, is it our expectations of him are too high? Probably. But at the same time, a player of his stature, he should be doing much more than he, than he is for United. I know uh, in Juventus, he was doing really well. And, but that's because you had players behind him. You had Perlo, you had Vidal. These are experienced players. They, they allowed him to have freedom to do what he wanted, which he kind, kind of wants to do with United. But we, the team is not set for him to be like that. We wanted to play him as a defensive midfielder, which totally I, I don't think is his position. Uh, we could see that because his effort uh, to win the ball, to track back, and to get the ball out again, uh, it's not where it should be. Do you think that's on Ole or do you think that's on Pogba? That's a hard thing to say too, right? Because uh, everyone's saying, oh, it's not his right position. It's not his right position. He's played on the left. He's played in the middle. For France, he's played in different positions. But if he, if he needs supporting players to be that superstar, then that's building a team around Pogba. Uh, at the moment, United, I don't think we have those supporting players that would allow him to have that freedom. I mean, at the same time, you can say that about Bruno as well, because Bruno, he likes that attack. He's not... He's not defensive-minded, but he runs his butt off every game. He wants to win every single ball. He wants to make the passes. Okay, sometimes his passes don't come off as they should, but I don't see that as a bad thing because uh, he's taking risks. He wants to take risks. And we've seen from when he's taken those risks, he's done that extra like cheeky chip over the wall, things you would not even expect. And they've produced for us. They, we've gotten goals. He's given countless assists. And that's just through being able to take risks. I think there's a couple of fundamental differences, though. 
you can see when Bruno is playing how much the shirt means to him. Like when he's wearing that, he's so proud. And that's yes. part of why he's running back. And I think, you know what, you're yes. right. They they did try to build a team around Pogba, but there was one fundamental ingredient that was missing, and that is leadership, right? You look at Bruno and he just like yes. ekes uh, leadership, right? Whatever he does, whatever he's saying, like it's like a born leader. And then you have Pogba on the other hand. The reason why he does so well at the likes of Juventus and France is because you've got so many leaders around him. He had like Pirlo, he had Bonucci, I mean, I could keep going on at Juventus. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. and then when you want to build a team around someone, guess what? That someone has to be a leader, right? And I think it's fair to say that exactly. Pogba is, is not the type of leader that uh, we expect. The one time that I've seen him do something that exhibits leadership capabilities was when we lost against Arsenal and he actually admitted that it was his mistake and he needs to do better. I think that is the first sign I've seen from him where he's taken responsibility for certain actions and has tried to, you know, galvanize the squad in his own way. When we talk about that leadership, when we talk about his motivations, when I watched France play over this international break, I'm looking at Pogba give his all, show that pride for the French jersey. And when he's playing alongside Kante, whether he's playing alongside Rabio, it didn't matter. He's putting in a shift and he's playing with that discipline where it's like, okay, why can't you do this in a United jersey? And so I think at this point, I'm fully accepting of the fact that he'll be a success somewhere else and another team will find a way to make him fit well enough. But uh, I'm past waiting at this point. In terms of the international window, I think the biggest maybe source of frustration for United fans will be, you know, the confusion over Alex Tellez and his COVID tests. He obviously had to miss time for United before the international break. And it seemed like he was in line to recover for the Everton match. And from what I read, United intentionally didn't play him in that Everton match to make sure Brazil didn't pick him in their squad just to make sure that he just stayed at United and they could start after the international break with him fresh but Brazil picked him and he goes through these COVID tests you know he he tests positive for one then he tests negative and so Sabi I don't know if you've been following all this but I'm assuming you've watched Alex Tellis play at this point what are your thoughts on him as a player and then maybe what are your thoughts on just having international football right now, considering the COVID situation? I've seen very little so far of Alex Tellez, but what I have seen from um, some clips that I looked at, he's an exciting player. I was actually really excited at that signing. He likes to run down the wings. He likes to get the ball in. He likes to be a part of the attack. This is what we need as our, if we're going to play with wing backs. I think that's, you, I believe you spoke about this in a previous podcast. The problem we have on the wings, whether it's coming from right wing, left wing, or our wing backs, the, there's no crosses coming into the box. It's been a while. It's been a while. When have we had a winger that was uh, consistent with putting balls into the box, no matter where, where they are on the pitch? It's a big loss for the team because 
we have a lot of uh, big players as well. You got McTominay, you got Matt, uh, Matic, you have Pogba, you have Maguire. You got these players that can tower over defenders and uh, win balls in the box. That's a big part of our game that we're missing. That's been a United, uh, like a, a staple, having your wingers. You had Cristiano Ronaldo, you had Beckham, you had uh, Nani. You had you had these exciting players. Antonio Valencia. And they would, uh, Valencia, yeah, who later became a right back. Brilliant, brilliant wing back. Uh, workhorse up and down the pitch until he was gone. We are lacking still in a lot of quality, but I see a lot of promise. There's a lot of young talent in our team. And like you said, it's just uh, it's the leadership. Uh, we've been lacking leadership. To be honest, I haven't seen real leadership until Bruno Fernandes has come in. The way he's taken to the shirt, the way he's taken to the club, the way he's taken uh, to his teammates. I can't remember the last time a player has come out and defended his own manager the way Bruno did over the last international break. I mean, it says everything about the type of player he is and uh, the mentality he has. And I think that's the mentality that we have been missing so much with United. And you've seen the characters we've had when you walk into that change room. Uh, I, I don't think we can say the same thing today or even the past, what, six years? When you can uh, when walk into the change room and you're sitting next to these established players, players that have won cups, that have been champions. They know what it takes to win. They know what it takes to maintain that level, that consistency day in, day out. I think that's a big thing that we're lacking right now at this point. I'm not sure. Is that going to be more signings coming in to do that? There was big talks about bringing in Graylish. I think we, we might have missed out on that. We've seen the way he's been performing this this season. He's off with a bang, isn't he? Especially uh, with his England debut and uh, his start last match. Although we lost, but still, uh, he was one of the best players on the pitch. I have a, a couple of things to say about the international break. You might want to fasten your seatbelt for this, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm all yours. What in God's name are the authorities thinking with keeping these friendlies like on the calendar? Like I understand if there's like, you know, a game of some substance or meaning like a, you know, playoff game for qualifications, but like these friendlies just have disaster written all over it. Like you got players traveling. First of all, we would like to minimize travel as much as possible. And that's why they had the Champions League in a bubble last season. Not only is there the factor of injuries, that's always been there though, COVID or no COVID. And I'm pretty sure Liverpool would love to have Joe Gomez back in one piece, but that's not what they're getting. You've got players who potentially can test positive. There's been a variety of players that have tested positive. Cristiano Ronaldo on the last international break, Alex Tellez, you had Mbappe. So not only do you lose these players, but any player that has come into contact with these players also have to quarantine, Right. So you're taking a lot of players out of circulation just because of these meaningless friendlies. Uh, not not to mention that like they just had don't add any value. You you get players in a rhythm and then they're they're sitting on a bench training by themselves for 14 days 
Like we've seen Alex Tellus play once against PSG. Uh, it definitely got the tongues wagging. And then we haven't seen him since, right? Uh, at first, it was a mystery because the club kept it private. And then we found out what happened. So, And then just to, to put the icing on the cake, you got people like Didier Deschamps who can't shut his mouth and keeps talking about United. Why don't you just worry about your own team, man? You 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 lost to Finland, all right? Let's just uh, think about that for a second. You don't need to talk about United. Why don't you follow what De, Bo- De Boyer from Netherlands, he could have easily gone off on United about Donny van der Beek, but you know what? He's a little smarter. He he knows how the Premier League works, and it sometimes takes time for a player to acclimatize. So just mind your own business. All right, that's, that's all I have to say about the international break. <laughs> Got it all out the system, Carl. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm glad. I'm, glad, I'm glad this podcast is serving as a bit of a release it's for you. Definitely Thank therapy. You. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can, I can hear the frustration in your, in your tone, Carl. <laughs> I, I, I think we're, I think we're all there with you. Especially when Luke Shaw just got injured and we're in desperate need of a left back. I mean, it's even more frustrating, to be honest. This COVID has put a real, real dent in everything. Really, the life that we're living day to day, the the lives of these athletes. I mean, you look at uh, the NBA and how they had to do the playoffs in the bubble, away from their family, away from their friends. Uh, I mean, that's all your support groups as well. On mm-hmm. top of trying to stay safe, that's um, a really good point. I mean, it's extra that's stress, a really good right? Point. They're human beings at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Like you're playing in. Okay, you you don't have the fans there, but at the same time, this is these are big games, right? And uh, you don't play well or something like that. You, usually, you get to come home to your family. And uh, that wasn't the case for them. So even, I, I don't know, like uh, this whole COVID thing, yeah, you're, it was a good point. Like, why, why are you playing friendlies? Why are you putting the players in this unnecessary risk? At the same time, it's known that like how the season, last season went, there was really no break or rest for most of these teams, most of these players. And now we're seeing the repercussions of it you're getting injuries left, right, and center. You got players going down from from every team because of uh, exhaustion. There, there's, there's no other way to put it. You're pushing human beings over their limit. The Premier League is very demanding, I gotta say. Very demanding. No question about that. I think we are just demanding what we want to see for the best of the United players, for the best of the United team. Hopefully, at some point, all these players get to settle in and play out this season to the best of their potential. A reminder, we are on Twitter at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to subscribe and join us after every match. And let your friends who might be interested know about it too. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl, myself, and today, Savvy, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.